I still subscribe to many of the beauty standards that we have. And I work in an industry that is dependent on if I look good or not. Like, do I think that my first book and my brand would have been such a huge success as it was if I had not been conventionally attractive? Probably not. I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, it was just because right time and my talent. Like, come on. I had a lot of advantages in my DNA. Welcome to On Your Terms with Erin King a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Erin. Well, when it comes to the term anti-aging, there is nothing more confusing possibly in the world. First of all, we are all aging. There is no such thing as not being able to age. And yet we live in a world with Instagram and the beauty industry where we're being pushed every type of narrative on earth that beauty is the ultimate currency. Well, today to unpack ways that we can exist a little more peacefully and perhaps with a healthier mindset is the one and only Andrea Owen. Andrea is a dear friend of mine who is an incredible keynote speaker, life coach, author. She's a hellraiser, self-described. And look, her books have been translated into 19 different languages available in 23 different countries. She has been trained by Brene Brown herself and her wildly popular podcast has over 4 million downloads. In this episode, Andrea and I discuss her brave experiment with not dyeing her hair anymore at the age of 47 and what this journey around embracing the natural process of growing older means for her, both personally and professionally. So if you're someone who's been struggling with Instagram filters or Botox fillers, hair, your fitness, your body, whatever it is, Andrea and I will discuss some ways you can make some peace with the aging process and make sure that you feel that you're living your true most authentic self on your terms. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. I'm Erin King, and today I have one of my all-time favorite badass women on the planet, motherfucking Andrea Owen. <laughs> Andrea, what's up? Oh, Erin, one of my favorite people too. Should we tell people why you called me that? I was just going to say, I did not just want to drop an F-bomb for fun. When I sent the invite to Andrea for the podcast, she wrote back and scheduled it as Andrea motherfucking Owen in the (laughs) subject line. And it was so on brand for you and it made me laugh, but you really walked that walk. And I think our topic today really is going to be so juicy for our listeners because we came on the video and what did I say? I said, I love your hair. It looks fantastic. And what did you say? I said, it depends on the day if I love it or not. And why did you say that? So I decided last November and we're recording. So it's been almost a full year to let my salt and pepper hair grow out. I've been dyeing my hair since I was 17, all the way back to the nineties when we were all putting sun in, in our hair. (laughs) And then I started to pay a lot of money and Mm -hmm. I was mostly blonde, but I've been auburn. I've been red. I've been brown. I've been dark brown. I've been black, just all different color hair. So I made the decision about a year ago to just to grow it out, to see what was underneath. Cause I saw pictures of my mom when she was my age. And I'm like, that salt and pepper was fire. And so I'm like, why not? Sure. I'm always up for something new. And it's been a journey. Some Mm -hmm. days I'm like, what have I done? 
Mm. Especially when I go back and see like social media videos of when my hair was blonde. I'm like, it was really pretty. Maybe I should just go do that again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's just frame this conversation because for anyone listening, they're thinking, okay, here's these two authors, keynote speakers, thought leaders, and they're talking about hair. How cute. But that's Mm. not what this conversation is about. I mean, our hair, especially as women, it's our identity. It's how we present ourselves to the world. It's our confidence. I'm getting my hair done tomorrow. It's going to cost me hundreds of dollars. I walk in one person and I walk out a different person, how I feel, my energy, my confidence, my grit, my resilience, my audacity. I'm more broke, but I feel more unstoppable. And I'll be there for five hours. I mean, I will be there for five hours. Our hair is a big deal, especially as front facing speakers Mm -hmm. and leaders way we are. And so you saw the photos of your mom and you thought to yourself, gosh, that's so liberating. That's so unique. What was that moment where you thought, was it about the money? Was it about why not? Was it about an experiment? Well, I'm always up for something new. I mean, that's why I'm an entrepreneur. Like I just have a high tolerance for risk. And the good news is I can change it. If I don't like it, I can change it. And on my own podcast, I told my audience that like, I might hate this and I might go running back to the salon. So don't think I'm going to do it and then not look back. I'm going to look back (laughs) every week. (laughs) Right. And so I underscore everything that you said. You know, I remember 10 years ago was when I first got interested in keynote speaking. And I asked a woman and she's probably got 20 years on me. I was asking her just general questions about the industry. And she's like, well, how old are you? And I said, I'm 37. And she said, okay, good. You're old enough to be taken seriously, but you're young enough to still get hired. And I was like, okay, well, what is the age where you don't get hired anymore? And so here I am 10 years later Mm. and I'm 47 and a half. I keep thinking about that. Like, is it a big deal for a woman to look her age, for a woman to look older? So here's the thing. You mentioned the word empowered. We see on social media or maybe like in our circle of friends, women I see them typically in their 50s and beyond who have either stopped coloring their hair or they have just embraced aging and they are so empowered by it. And like Jamie Lee Curtis is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. And I am like, I'm ready for that. When (laughs) When am I going to wake up and feel like, okay, I'm not even going to consider any fillers or anything like that. I'm fine with not dyeing my hair. I'm fine with aging. You know, screw the patriarchy. And I'm not there yet. So no one really talks about this in-between stage Mm -hmm. that I'm in where I'm done with being obsessed with my body and how I look and how I am perceived by others. Like I'm done with that, but I'm not yet at the stage where... I don't think about it at all, or I feel Mm -hmm. empowered by aging. So it's like this weird limbo place that I don't really hear anybody talking about. And there's grief in that. I really feel like Mm -hmm. there's grief in it and confusion. It's just weird. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love this topic so much. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. So many things. Okay. First of all, so the new Top Gun just came out and Kelly McGinnis, obviously back in the OG Top Gun was the babe of all babes, Charlie, the instructor. Okay. Tom Cruise's love interest. Well, I don't know if you saw this on social media. There was this terribly awful bullying and piling on of her because she wasn't invited back for the sequel because gasp, holy shit, she had AIDS. She looks like a 60-year-old woman. A normal 60-something-year-old woman, however old she is. There is a viral video on YouTube that I remember seeing that had Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Amy Schumer, 
Tina Fey, a bunch of SNL alumni, and it was called The Last Fuckable Day. And it's this whole joke where they're having this party because Julia Louise Dreyfus from Seinfeld had turned whatever age, 50, 55, whatever it was. And they were celebrating it was her last fuckable day because now that she's this okay. age, no one will ever want to have sex with her ever again. And so they had wine and they were cheersing like the end of her life because she had turned this age. Well, meanwhile, we fast forward to George Clooney, our insert aging distinguished gentleman here. And there is such a double standard going on that's always been there, but something about Instagram and the work that we do. I mean, even think about being a keynote speaker. So a lot of our listeners at this podcast, they are entrepreneurs, they're keynote speakers, they're thought leaders, creators. A lot of them are real estate agents. A lot of them are in forward-facing positions. Think about it. They put five resumes on the table and they say, who do we want to have at our event? They're looking for, hopefully, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they're also looking for who do we feel like we would like, who either looks like a certain way that makes us feel like want to pay attention to them. And so my question is for you, like everything about you doing your hair and letting it go, I am like, oh my gosh, it makes me nervous to even think about it. I would be totally gray. I dye my hair every four weeks. And I thought to myself, gosh, I could get five hours back tomorrow. I would save 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. Would I ever have the audacity, the grit, the balls to do that? Like it makes me so nervous and so scared. And so tell me about the moments where you felt like that. And how have you been staying grounded and steady in this? Like, what's the self-talk journey there? Like, if we're going to talk logistics with hair, a lot of it was the maintenance. Like, do I want that time back? Yeah, but I really like my hairdresser and like we have great, funny conversations. Is it the money? Yeah, it's kind of a lot of money, but I'm lucky enough that I can afford it. It's the maintenance. It's two weeks in and seeing that stripe and then like, do I get the spray? And the spray makes my hair sticky and it's gross. And then I got so tired, Erin, of feeling like my schedule revolved around my hair appointments. (laughs) (laughs) My husband this morning, he goes, I'm getting my hair done tomorrow. And he goes, didn't you just get your hair done? I'm like, babe, that was three weeks ago. He goes, whoa. (laughs) Because you can't imagine, right? Like think of the time we would get back. The headspace. It's the beauty of the uniform too, Andrea. I mean, you know, I have my pink dress on stage. I have 10 pink dresses. I have PMS size, regular size, summer size, but they're all pink because I'm not good at fashion. I'm not stylish. And I realized I was spending, to use your word, the headspace before these gigs where I should be rehearsing my stories, researching the audience, getting in a service mindset. And what was I? doing fretting over the outfit and so the uniform freed that up and i can see that having the same effect in terms of hair it's really weird too i see it on other people and i think it looks amazing and i want to go and talk to her and i want to hear about her hair journey and when people see it on me like i get nothing but compliments and especially women our age like they want to talk about it but when i see it on me i'm like you would look amazing on Aaron, but I don't know about me. So, okay, hair is the beginning, but hair is just a gateway topic to talk yeah. about. Now we're at an era where this next generation of women growing up in high school are seeing the world through a filtered lens. And I recently read a very disturbing article that these gals are bringing their filtered version of their face from Instagram into plastic yeah. surgeons. But whether it's Botox, they're getting their lips done in high school. How do we begin to 
observe this landscape that we're in of these dueling narratives. Because on one hand, we're in this world of body positive and Lizzo and DEI and live your best life and do you and F everybody else. That's what we're saying verbally. But then visually, on the other side of this tension, if you take three scrolls through anything that's trending or going viral, it is a beauty standard that is unattainable without unbelievable measures, dangerous measures, expensive measures in some cases. And so there's this warring narrative of what's being said versus what's being shown. How do you manage that tension? Because I certainly do not have it under control personally, and I wouldn't pretend to give advice about it. But have you found there to be any ways that you've started to sort of process it in a way that feels healthier for you? Yes and no. Yes, I think it happens when we have conversations like the one that you and I are having. I have a 13-year-old daughter, and so it's right in my face too. And I also think that part of me is kind of like, this is just a trend that will change like all trends do. And the no part is like, I still want a facelift. <laughs> I've been gone away. Like I look at them, I'm like, oh my jowls, you know, and I follow some really great plastic surgeons and like Botox and fillers to me is just a band-aid. Like I want to go under the knife. And I talk about it openly because I think more people should. And again, like it's that in-between stage. Like it's not either or. It, it can be both. Like if this gray wasn't pretty, do you think I would grow it out? Like, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's really pretty. And so I think there's still an element of vanity that will never go away. Like we Mm -hmm. live in America, like, come Mm -hmm. on, like it's part of who we are. And if like, if it makes me a bad feminist, like, so be it, but I'm not going to lie. Like I'm always going to be transparent. I also remember the thing that I was going to say, and this was a few years ago. I just started talking about it to my friends that I was considering growing my gray hair out a couple of them. They made it about themselves, almost like if you do it, then what does that say about me? Then that Mm. means that am I going to have to do it? And it was almost as if I was defecting from this group that we were a part of and I was walking away and I'm like, you do whatever you want. Like me growing my hair, I didn't say anything about you, but it was interesting to watch this conversation happen and see the wheels turn in some of my friends. Okay, I love this direction because that is exactly how we discover Botox, fillers, my hairstylist. Uh, most of my hair is from God and some of it is from Hair by Gabby, right? <laughs> right? And so I remember seeing my girlfriend, Ashley, and I was like, your hair looks so amazing, right? So what we decide to do with our time and our money and how we present ourselves to the world, it catches fire from our relationships, from our micro everyday influencers. And so what's interesting is that we talk a lot about, well, so-and-so got this here. And so that's how I got introduced to this. And I can literally say every single thing I spend money on self-care wise, I learned from a girlfriend. And so it's interesting to think that I can't think of one girlfriend besides you that I'm learning about abstaining versus adding. And so I can understand that that might make them feel a little bit uncomfortable because it makes them look at themselves in a lens or a mirror that maybe is uncomfortable. But I want to circle back to a term that you used. You said, if that makes me a bad feminist, Mm -hmm. and so be it. And that's an interesting label. That's an interesting bucket. Are we bad feminists 
And what does that even mean? But, you know, if we don't subscribe to that classic extreme of like the armpit hair trend that was going on for a little bit or the burn your bra, some of our mother's mothers. And, you know, there's always something that's the anti. The entire definition of it, it really is so broad. And there are some feminists who are against the sex worker industry saying that it disempowers women and it puts women at risk and there's not enough safety measures involved and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then other feminists argue that we need to help them and sex work is work and we need to legitimize it and legalize it. And it's like, I see both sides on Mm -hmm. many of these terms. And like some feminists will say, you know, it's called choice feminism where it's like, do whatever you want. If you want to be a housewife and totally rely on your husband to make all of the money and you get an allowance, like as a feminist, you should be able to decide to do that. And other women are like, no, she needs to have her own bank account, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, Okay. I don't know if there's ever really been anything within that topic that I've disagreed with. Like, I agree with it all. I just think it's so complicated when you're talking about so many different people and so many different values and ideals and goals and desires of what everyone has. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, I think that, you know, there is a big conversation around the beauty industry and, you know, people are dying getting BBLs. And women die getting facelifts and, mm. and things like that. And so it just, I get it. But at the same time, I am not the type of person who's going to go all in. I still subscribe to many of the beauty standards that we have. And I work in an industry that is dependent on if I look good or not. Like, do I think that my first book and my brand would have been such a huge success as it was if I had not been conventionally attractive? Probably not. Mm. And like, I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, it was the right time and my talent. It's like, come on. Mm-hmm. I, I had a lot of advantages in my DNA and my personality. Okay. So there's a lot of interesting things we can unpack here. Let's start with the correlation between appearance and accolades, because I will tell you, I played D1 lacrosse in college. I, I wore sweatpants. I didn't know you were a D1 athlete. I was, and I wore sweatpants, sweatsuits, actually, matching gray sweatsuits (laughs) the entire time. Did not wear any makeup. I don't know how I had a boyfriend. My dad definitely thought I was a lesbian. I'm heterosexual. I had plenty of girlfriends that were lesbians on my team, but I did not subscribe to the standard college beauty situation. And I remember my parents and my siblings being so shocked when 15 years later, when my career as an entrepreneur evolved into now being a speaker and a writer, just like you, I'll never forget. I was probably five or six years ago. And I overheard two meeting planners at the Vegas Sands Expo in the bathroom. And they were talking about the appearance of these two different female speakers. And they were ruthless. They were relentless talking about that they sort of were glad they picked the one gal because they knew that she would appeal to the male audience. And the other gal was saying that she thought the other girl would look smarter because she had glasses. This whole conversation is happening. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. I was like, oh shit, what we look like is 90% of how we get hired before we even get boots on stage to even prove what we can contribute, what we even know. And that was the moment in that stall where I went from really being like a tomboy surfer girl, mountain biker, no makeup, who cares, like very confident, buck 50, love myself to hair extensions, eyelash extensions, Botox. Mm-hmm. I've gotten my lips done. I got a spray tan two days ago for my event mm-hmm. yesterday in Costa Mesa. And in the last five years, I've become this very high maintenance creature. And it happened in that moment in the stall, not because I'm obsessed with how I look. I really don't give a shit deep down, but I do give a shit about making my goals that I've set for myself 
wealth and getting the reps on stage and making the impact that I can make and driving the revenue my family needs to live the life I want to live. And so for me, my appearance and the time I spend on it and invest on it is so directly correlated to bottom line and impact. It, it actually makes me kind of overwhelmed and sad, but I don't know how else to operate. I mean, amen. I don't even know if I have anything to add. Like it truly is like we can see an ROI on the amount of time and money and effort Mm. spent on our appearance. Like, would I love to live in a world where it didn't matter and we were just judged on our talent? Sure, but it matters. And it's like, I think you and I both could get very far on personality and charm and charisma alone. However, this is America. And like, do I want to get farther? Of course I do. (laughs) Yeah. I want to win. I'm an Aries. Like, that's what I do. Same. (laughs) Of course. That makes total sense. (laughs) Everything about us makes sense now. How did we never discover this? (laughs) But you're right. And what's wrong with winning? And what's wrong with ambition? And what's wrong with competition? And what's wrong with big goals? The answer is nothing. And yet... There's an element also of our inner feminist that we share where this idea of self-care and identity and the time and energy and use your word, the headspace that goes into it. I guess my question is, how do you think that we can start to make, I don't know if it's better peace with it or like, do we just say it is what it is and move on? Is there a question we can ask ourselves, a way that we can begin to define how it can feel less icky? Like, how do we do better with this, do you think? That's the question I just asked my therapist. When did I see him? Like (laughs) last week, I came in and I sat down and I said, here's what I'm grappling with. When you have lived your life, when a lot of my identity was based on the way that I looked. And I know that I got certain jobs because 25 years ago, I looked a certain way. And now as I'm watching it slip through my fingers, where beauty is currency still and continues to be currency, how do I make peace with this? Like, how do I walk through this? And the conclusion I came to was that like, I have to walk through this grief. And I think that for women, especially, and for women who have been, you know, praised for being pretty or being beautiful, when that starts to slip away, it's a moment. And I think that the more that we try to fight it, whether that's through plastic surgery or whether that's through trying to hold on to your youth, because like, I don't want to go back there, Erin. Like, I love the wisdom that comes with being this age. Mm-hmm. And I know Amen. In the it's going to be even more. But I do think that there's a grief that needs to be acknowledged and walked through. And that's, again, like what no one's really talking about. And like, mm-hmm. I'm the, always the person who like talks about the thing that nobody's talking about. That's what I keep coming back to. And that's what I was talking about in therapy last week of like, this fucking sucks some days. Yeah. It sucks to look yeah. back at pictures of myself when I was in my late 20s or early 30s and be like, gosh, I probably could have gotten hired a lot more. And then also like, but does that matter? And just this whole like rigmarole that I'm doing over here yeah. like, it just is how life is. Well, it's so well said. And I love the encouragement that we authorize ourselves to have this moment of mourning because yeah. whether you're 47 or 37 or 27 I can pinpoint moments of mourning when you didn't know what you didn't know. So I guess is part of the peacemaking, did you come to or are you coming to? Is part of it figuring out how to disassociate appearance with accolades or appearance with achievements in a way that 
if you're cool with it, everyone's cool with it. Like people sort of follow your lead, right? Like I have a girlfriend who had never had any work done, unapologetic crow's feet and on the forehead. And she is just naturally beautiful, but she's a surfer. So she's also like that weathered. She looks every bit of 50, right? She looks like an actual 50 year old 20 years ago, how 50 year olds looked. Yeah. And I think that she is stunningly beautiful. Part of it is because her vibe, her aura is so I don't give a shit. Like I love myself. And if you want to get on this love train, great. If you don't, Asta. Mm -hmm. And I think that she's the raddest chick on the planet. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that. (laughs) I hate myself for that. Oh, you know, I think you could. And I also want to make very clear. I don't plan on staying here for like a whole long time. Like I do know that I've made progress. Okay. I know that like, I'm going to get to that place in my fifties where I am like a Jamie Lee Curtis or like your friend where I'm like, I look amazing still not like for a 55 year old. I'd still look amazing. And it is all about that vibe because like this isn't changing. And I also look to women, especially in our industry who are, in their 50s and 60s and beyond who are still killing it professionally. And I mean, it doesn't look like they've gotten a whole lot of work done, but it doesn't matter. I don't look at them and go like, oh, she really needs to get some fillers done. Like, I just am like, damn, she's still getting booked so much. Like, that's evidence that Mm -hmm. I can be there as well. I think also for many women who have gotten praise for looking a certain way, get to a point in their lives and maybe not all women, I can't speak for them all. We get to a point in our lives where it's like, we try even harder to prove that we are smart and professional and funny and intelligent because our beauty is unearned. Like we didn't earn that. It was just our DNA. Yeah. But I think that beautiful women many times are not taken as seriously as they should because of the way that they look. And I have experienced Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I don't experience it as much. As I've gotten older, but it's tricky. First of all, you're stunning and you know that you're absolutely vibrant on all the levels. Secondly, I love this conversation because I have a dear friend in the New England area who found that to be true. She does work in the Boston area where it is the academia, the Harvards, the MITs. Mm -hmm. It's a different level of stale male pale IQ. As liberal as the Boston area might be, it is still ground zero for intelligence and IQ in the country. They have the highest number of MBAs, PhDs per square mile of the population in the whole country. It is ground zero for intelligence, essentially. That's what they equate to success, probably. Exactly. Well said. And so what she found was that when she put on a thick pair of glasses, she found her bookings to rise. Now, look, this was not a perfectly controlled experiment with all the scientific (laughs) hypotheses and the control group. And someone that goes to MIT or Harvard is going to be like, that is the most ridiculous experiment that that has. None of the things you need to make it legit. And all we're saying (laughs) is she put on the glasses and just like Clark Kent in reverse, all of a sudden it began to rain bookings. And so look, it is what it is. We're always going to judge a book by its cover. But I guess the question is going to be like, what if we could begin to lead by example? Like even what you're talking about, the small ripple effect that you had in your inner circle where you had five, 10, 15 girlfriends pumping the brakes and questioning what they were doing. Like, is that all it takes? Do you think that there is like you said, an element of aging that can be an advantage because we aren't being underestimated. Like, is there a gravitas that we can pull from, from the evolution of our appearance? 
Yeah. I mean, you look at speakers like Meredith Elliott Powell, who, and this is again, just a a control group of one. I look at her or Connie Podesta, like these middle-aged women who obviously are seasoned and who have, you know, been in the biz for decades at this point. And if someone said, okay, like rate these women and you've you've never seen them speak, you've never met them personally on a level of professionalism, I am going to be biased and say that these middle-aged women are more quote unquote professional. I don't know if that's answering your question, but I do think that we have a bias. You know, that's why that mentor of mine said like, oh, you're old enough for people to take you seriously. So what she was insinuating is that anyone who looks under the age of 35 is going to be judged that they're not professional enough, not seasoned enough, not experienced, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. yeah, judge, we judge all the time. Well, I I love the 35 benchmark because being a young entrepreneur, I lied about my age so many times to get deals done. I lied about my age. You said you were older, you mean? Oh yeah, all the time. I mean, I started my first company when I was 25, told everyone I was 30. Mm -hmm. I mean, my first job, I was 22, told them I was 25. Like I have constantly been lying up with my age to make sure that I wasn't discounted. And then, like you said, there's no middle ground. Now I'm 40 and everything in me when someone's like, oh, you know, are you 35? I'm like, best day ever now now we want to like be younger and it's so annoying it's this unwinnable game of like you know goldilocks syndrome of the too hot the too cold the too young the too old you and i right now it's like we're not young and we're not old we're just regular women (laughs) right like we're just regular and so like how do we celebrate the regular Mm -hmm. (laughs) like how do we roll around in the regular I guess we do it every day. I, I don't know. I just, yeah. I think that the thing no one told me was, and maybe it's just because no one else experienced it and I'm just weird, but the mental gymnastics that happens around yeah. aging. I mm. remember, so I was traveling, um, I was in Boulder speaking and I was staying at this hotel and I went for a walk in the morning and, and I was leaving a girlfriend of mine a Voxer message and I was about to walk by a construction site. And there was probably a dozen or so men on this construction site. And I was like, okay, so I'm walking up on this construction site. Let's see if any of them cat call me. (laughs) (laughs) Turn to look in my direction. It was both. Thank God. Thank God I'm not being street harassed anymore. And then I hate that this is my truth. It was a part of me that was like, um, hello. <laughs> Do you know how much I used to be street harassed? <laughs> no one's, no oh one notices my anymore. God. It's like that to me is like, I know I keep coming back to it. At the end of this interview, I just hope that like, if any woman listening to this can feel normal for yeah. the mind fuck that is aging as a woman in America, especially with a face forward career, you're welcome. (laughs) Well said. Well said. And I I love that you're authorizing us to get out of the binary options of doing all the things to stay ageless forever and ever. Amen. Or the opposite of just being absolutely like letting it all hang out and go to shit. Like maybe that middle ground, that regular is something we should be talking about where it's not old or young. It's just regular. And I think we should relish the regular. And I certainly feel that way talking to you. So I'm grateful for your candid nature as usual, your authenticity. Tell us what you're working on right now. What's Andrea up to? I know you're always are working on new books, new incredible experiences. Tell us more. So right now I'm working on two books, actually. Another self-help book, because I can't not write a self-help book with a title I'm really excited about, but I'm not going to say it here. And a memoir. Finally, my audience has been asking for a memoir for a decade, and I'm officially writing the book proposal for it. So congratulations. 
Uh, congratulations. Well, I will definitely put the links to all the things in the show notes. Success Magazine friends, this is an interview that you just send to your girlfriends. This is Andrea Owen at her finest. She's like this all the time. Fire, honesty, not afraid, unapologetically her. I adore you and definitely encourage all of you to follow her, check her out, share this episode with your girlfriends and let's relish in the regular. So thank you, Andrea. You're the best. I love seeing you. And I think you're stunning inside and out. (laughs) I will relish and roll around with you in the regular any day. (laughs) Thanks again. Good to see you. Well, friends, I promised you a seriously incredible episode and Andrea, as always, delivered. You can check her out at andreaowen.com. She's active on Instagram and she has two brand new books coming out very soon. In the meantime, check out her current books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. See you next time.